It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this week's episode of Circles Off, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook here on the Hammer Betting Network, we are joined by two-time Westgate Super Contest winner, Steve Fezzik. Extremely polarizing individual. We're going to get into it all. His own personal story, his NFL betting, and believe me, we won't let him off the hook when it comes to touting. We're going to get why he touts, specifically if he thinks people are going to win with his packages. All that and more. A jam-packed, loaded Circles Off, episode number 88. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 88, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. 88. So many players here that Johnny actually didn't even want to be in the studio with me to start because he thought we were going to go way too long with this segment. There's a lot. Marvin Harrison, Tony Gonzalez, Michael Irvin, my boy, Cowboys fan, Des Bryant, Greg Olson, Demarius Thomas, rest in peace, Nicholas Batum, War 88, Markeith Morris, 88 in the NHL, Zach, is like... It's nuts, the amount of players that were 88. Really? Yeah. Obviously, off the top of my head, Nylander, Patty Kane. I'm just trying to think. Brent Burns. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, right, yeah. David Posternak. Wow. They're like high level. Yes. 88, wow. Uh, Back in the day, like for anyone who's old school, I'm not going to leave them out. Eric Lindros. Yeah. Eric Lindros, without the concussions, would have gone down as one of the all-time greats. You, you know. <laughs> if he played nowadays. So my dad grew up in um, in Durham, which is... Uh, yep, Durham where, region. Um, yeah, which is where Lindros played his, uh, his junior hockey. So he used to go and watch him all the time. So he's a huge, huge Lindros fan. Every year at Christmas, we do the ceremonial hanging of... Eric Lindros, and he has an Eric Lindros uh, Christmas tree ornament that goes up on the tree. It's the only non-Leafs thing that we have. It's Eric Lindros in a Flyers uniform. Really a shame. There's a lot of lot of professional athletes that have been affected by concussions, cut a career short. But back in the day, just you know, some of the hits these guys used to give. Scott Stevens over the middle of the ice. You know, you run into that freight train. Uh, it's over for you. It is Super Bowl week. We are going to get to a guest here shortly. But as a reminder. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sharpest sports book now available to bettors in Ontario. If you're in Ontario, I would 100% recommend signing up this week at Pinnacle. Great prices on pretty much everything. Great props offering as well. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus in Ontario, not available to US bettors. And again, please play responsibly. Cannot preach that enough. We now welcome in our guest here on episode number 88 of Circles Off. He has over $1 million in lifetime contest winnings. He's a two-time back-to-back winner of the Westgate Super Contest. He's a handicapper for pregame.com. If he's selling to you directly, it's not him. Be very careful for impersonators out there. At Fezzik Sports on Twitter, Steve Fezzik now joins us on Circles Off. Steve, how's it going? 
Well, thank you for having me on the pod. I'm humbled by it. And uh, we should have some lively discussions about various topics and what better time than right before the Super Bowl. Absolutely. We, we've, I've been very interested in having you on for a long time. You are one of the most polarizing people in the gambling Twitter space. There are some people out there that give you a really bad rap. I know that my opinion of you has changed over time. Uh, I'm, I'm a type of person who I guess maybe is quick to rush to judgment. We'll get over, we'll get through the tough questions as well here. This is not going to be just like a, you know, I, I have to do my due diligence in asking the tough questions. But for those who don't know you, Steve, give a little bit of a background on yourself and mainly how you got involved in the betting space. Sure. So I'm a math geek former corporate guy, actuary, worked for Transamerica in Los Angeles, was an executive with them. This is in the early 1990s, throughout the 90s. And I started going to Vegas in the pretty much 1994 on during the football season and discovered, wow, this is really profitable, um, outstanding opportunities. Uh, by 1996, I was coming to either Vegas or Reno every other weekend. I was rotating with a, a, another actuary partner of mine, and he was going up the other the weeks I couldn't make it. And we we're betting sports and doing, frankly, better at that than we were in our executive jobs. And then finally, by 2001, I made the move and I headed to Vegas to bet full time and to gamble full time. Okay, so let's walk through that a little bit. Um, Obviously, the actuary component helps. Uh, we have a mutual friend of ours who's been on Circles Off before. It goes by Plus EV Analytics on Twitter, also an actuary in the space. Very you know, good depth of knowledge in terms of numbers. But there are a lot of people who struggle to transition from just like a regular job, even whether they're involved in math or accounting, to the sports betting market. Talk us through, like, what did that look like to you? Your first trips to Vegas, were you betting mainly on sports? What was it to you? that stood out as like, this is a huge opportunity for me. Sure. And I was born in 63. So I started coming to Vegas in the late eighties. And to be honest, I played blackjack, blackjack's beatable, read some books about it, took, took, took my shot at it. Never really had much success with blackjack. The house edge is tiny. There's talk about whether the games were legitimate, the handheld pitch games in the late eighties. I can't really comment on that. I never really got I never really progressed to a level to um, to really take it all that seriously. But it, I started to look towards the sports betting. And I guess I had an epiphany um, in the early 90s. And remember, I'm not living in Vegas. So I'm coming to Vegas you know, three, four times a year, having fun. And it was during football season. And I noticed parlay cards. This is like 1992. And I'm like, this, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. They just print these lines out on Wednesday and they just stay there. You can stale lines, you can play, they don't move at all. They're on the card. You can just play as much as you want. No one's gonna stop you. And people would be like, what happened? It shows what, oftentimes there's a narrative out there and everyone just copies. They're like minor birds. They don't actually um, think about whether it's, it's legitimate and maybe like the movie, The Big Short showed how, you know, in the financial markets, this can be the case. And everyone said, oh, they're sucker, parlays are sucker bets. You know, you can't play parlays. And that's largely generally correct, but it's nothing could be further than the truth. Nothing was better that I was that I've ever encountered than playing parlay cards in the 1990s. You were laying less with if, if you played enough teams, 
Uh, you were basically laying under minus 110 with three-day-old stale lines on half-point cards where you can get plus three and a half on lines that were like two and a half. It, it was impossible to lose. You could not lose. If you had any acumen, you would win. And yet no one, all the so-called experts out there, had no, seemingly they, they'd look at and throw in the garbage can and go bet their straight bets and lose. And so we became very arrogant, egotistical towards the, com- the, the sharp community that was out there uh, you know, discussing how to win betting sports because we felt like they have no clue. If they haven't discovered, if they can't see that this is phenomenal, then clearly they haven't evolved to even a basic level. So that, you know, that, that was the 90s and then things got harder. So, so we're basically 30 years later now and there's a lot of people who are in the exact same boat still nowadays, right? Like whether stay lines pools where the, you know, the odd set for NFLs released on Tuesday or Wednesday in their league, they can't even really compare to a sports book like pinnacle and figure this out for themselves. And the only reason I mentioned that is because there's gotta be, it was the knowledge of how the betting market works for you to uncover that this is an edge. And I'm, what I'm trying to get at is how, how did you figure that out for yourself? Was it asking around? Was it some sort of understanding of like how other markets work? Because for some people, they just cannot grasp this concept of like, this is an efficient market over time. The numbers are going to move. The closer we get to game time, the more efficient the number is going to be. Obviously you were able to recognize that. What led to you being able to pick up on that? I think backgrounds in financial markets, just that a stock price, the whole whole you know, study economics at Northwestern, you know, the market being either efficient or semi-efficient. If if a stock's trading at a certain level, that's that's a, that's what it's worth. And I felt like you know this, it really was just a marketplace, and and we're getting to betting exchanges where it really is a marketplace where if uh, Kansas City is is minus two in the global marketplace, maybe that's not a completely accurate number. But it's pretty close. And when Circus taken $300,000 a pop or a million a pop and other books are taking really large wagers, it is beyond a leap of faith to say, well, the real number should be Kansas City minus five or the real number should be, you know, Philly minus three. It's possible, but it's so unlikely, you know, a great unbiased estimate of what the line should be in more cases than not, especially if we're not talking openers, but we're talking lines that have settled in is just the current marketplace number. Yeah, I mean, I, I largely agree with uh, what you said there, Steve. Going back to the parlay cards, I think what most people, um, you know, even in today's day don't really realize is like the, the stuff that people say like, oh, yeah, you're never going to get an edge betting the parlays. You can't bet the parlay cards. That's sometimes where, you know, one year something might hit, something changes, something like that. And then now it's like, well, this is actually the thing that does make the most amount of money. And it's crazy, you know, with, with you saying you can get 3x, 4x parlays laying less than minus 110 stay lines two, three points off. Also the parlay and that factor is going to be a benefit, right? Cause you're going to compound that edge and you're going to, you're going to want to bet more on those if, if they're winning. So in theory, having a parlay card there was also a net positive versus just even the stale numbers, right? Yeah. So you, you were laying less than minus 110 and you were getting, you're getting insane numbers. You're getting Northwestern plus 21 and a half when the market was 17 and a half against Illinois. You know, they did just just numbers that you, you couldn't believe. Remember, the market was a lot less efficient. It's not like today where if there's a bad number put up there on Sunday night, Brad Powers goes and, and, and whacks it immediately. <laughs> I mean, numbers would just stay out there for days and days. And then you'd see these huge global moves 
happen on Saturday morning. You wake up and you see three point moves and the, in college and the NFL. Now, if you wake up on a Sunday morning, it's not unusual other than injury news. Nothing moves. Guess what? The number's right. You've got situations where you got Canadians releasing minus two and a half and up to three it goes. And now um, if it hits three and a half, then you've got um, Honduras, Candy Hat, Capra taking plus three and a half and back down to three it goes. I mean, it's, it's just the numbers just are not up by much. I agreed, agreed. So, um, you know, if anything, it's just an easier time to be actually a bookmaker on that side, right? Because you're able to set the market and shape the market at the lesser limits versus what you would have had to, um, you know, even a couple of years back. Uh, okay, so Steve, you mentioned that you are a proponent of the, the top-down method, as you just called it, which is, you know, make sure you're taking and factoring in the market, having respect for that last that last number. Uh, but I've also heard you say multiple times that you do originate um, for a few sports, and I believe one of those is included is, is the NFL. So wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about that. How is the origination form for the, the NFL a lot different in your eyes? Yeah, so... Uh- as a content guy, I have to originate in the NFL because to be able to talk as an expert, I, I need to be able to do my own work. So I, I come up with my power ratings. Uh, I try to minimize the player personnel stuff because it's just not my my expertise. So I'm aware of it. I've got what the backup quarterback's worth versus the starter. I, you know, this is a good example. Like even people in our industry, they don't know what, you know, Mahomes versus Henny is. And like, they, it's, it's not, I mean... Mahomes is about five points better than an average starting quarterback. I'm not on an island there. He's the best. And Henny's about two and a half points worse. So it's about a seven and a half point difference. What's the impact on the spread? Probably it would be eight without going into the nuances of why it's not exactly seven and a half. It's all numbers. Um, so I do need to be aware of that when I'm live wagering, when Purdy, you know, goes down, I need to be able to know what the breakdown to Josh Johnson is. You know, that's actually a very difficult thing because, you know, Purdy's easy. He's a slightly below average starting quarterback, minus one and a half. So where I, I have him at base, I know because he performed so well this year. What is Josh Johnson? You guys tell me. Yeah. Is he a minus six? I don't know. Right. Now, I had, I, a, couple, I had a couple he, of good games last year. Actually. I mean, based off watching Josh Johnson, you could argue he's a minus 20. But uh, no, I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration. But uh, just because yeah. we brought this up, I got to bring this up. It's a little bit off topic. But um, so, Steve, you mentioned like, yo, you're live betting. OK, bam, Purdy went out. I got to pick up Josh Johnson. You know what was crazy? As soon as Purdy went down, every single Josh Johnson sport card on eBay sold. And it's crazy. It's just another form of beating a market. Yes, right? It's like if, if San Fran comes back and wins that game and Josh Johnson has to play in the Super Bowl and wins a Super Bowl, that card is 10, 20 Xing in value. And you just picked up a bunch for five bucks, 10 bucks. It's, it's crazy. But when I saw that, I was like, wow, the ultimate steam chase. All well, the Josh Johnson should sign a deal with Johnny Cash. You know, I've been everywhere, man, because <laughs> that, that certainly would be, uh, you know, popular. The, as far as, so, so, Ideally, in an ideal world, bottoms up is fantastic. Do both. Do top down and bottom up and do all these sports. This sounds great. You become an expert. Um, think about how strong it is to be a strong um, bottom up handicapper and do top down. So right angle sports is about to release their plays. You've got your numbers. They say set up Xavier over. You're like, yep, I agree. I'm betting it. Because you know that you made the line two, two points higher already on the total and that that's likely to be a play instead of a cancel. And if he says, set up Dayton under, and you're like, no, no, that's a, that's a phony, no good. And so now you can make more money. But now here's the problem. 
how many college basketball teams are there right now? 330? Yeah. So let's say we spend two minutes, two minutes a day on Villanova, Reno, UNLV, every one of them. And a lot of handicappers do this. Well, that's 11 hours a day spending a crappy two minutes on the team. How are you going to know um, all the nuances of a team? How are you going to know Texas A&M's flight got rerouted and their planes, trains, and automobiles today in their game in Arkansas? True story. Um, you're not. It's just impossible. So I'd make the case that all these guys that do nothing but but uh, top down, I'm, I'm sorry, bottom up, handicapping like this and do every team, they don't make anything. None of these guys I know, I mean, they, they win, they, they, but they, they work 100 hours a week. And they grind out a living because let's say it lands you on three bets and you're betting a thousand a game and you somehow you're hitting 55%. It's still nothing. You're making $150 a day, you know, go work at McDonald's as a manager. You got to find ways to make a lot more money than that. If you're going to do this for a living. Whereas by contrast, my friend, Bill Crackman, Crackman burger, um, he can't name a player on Texas A&M, but he might have 40 college basketball bets on a Saturday with his network of people and do and he'll do very very well just doing top down relying i guess he's relying on some others doing the bottom up heavy lifting so steve are, are you making a ton of cash then ben on sports am i making a ton of cash that's yeah. like are you making good. cash ben on sports like how how's the how's the roi coming how like what would you say your projected earn is compared to like the media stuff i oh that's it that, that, that's great to compare I, I make more betting than from the media stuff um, as far as, but I mean, that's, I live in Las Vegas. If, if, I mean, like I hear this question, I, I get this question all the time, you know, do you win? And it's like, I, I think it's a silly question. No, I'm a professional gambler and I lose. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, like a poker player, do you win? Everyone wins. Everyone that like is good wins. Yeah. Like the challenge is winning a lot. Of course, if you're a poker player and you, for instance, and, and you can't beat a one, three, no limit game against tourists in Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, I, I don't believe you. I, if you. All you have to do is read Ed Miller's books, work on your game for six months. My 11-year-old son can win playing 1-3. I think they'd probably kick him out, though. Um, but the problem is, how much are you winning? It's like, are you winning $6 an hour? Well, maybe you should probably find some place else to work. It's it's maximizing what you're doing, how you're earning, etc. So that's very interesting, and I want to pick up on that because uh, I think the top top-down, bottom-up conversation is very fascinating. And, and me and Johnny are polar ends of the spectrum, spectrum on this, although I'm closer to the middle than maybe I let on a lot of times. So I incorporate some top-down. He's a left-wing uh, activist. Yeah. I've, I've, I've originated sports at successfully for a long time. Baseball for a while, that's where I started. Eventually lost my edge there. But hockey and the NFL, NHL and NFL. And... There's an inherent advantage, I find, in that you're talking about scaling, right? And winning money and winning a lot of money. And there's something to me that's pretty nice about being able to just bet at a certain time of day, not even sometimes in the morning. You don't even have to obtain a ton of closing line value depending on, like in the hockey market. I think it's just like very, very unique. Um, But you don't really have to worry about being shut down and, three, four, five bets. And I think there's, 
there's something to that. Like, I know what you're saying about you're going to get less bets. You're going to get less volume, but I don't have to worry about liquidity on the bets that I make for the most part. And if I do the top-down approach, which I do do, I, I'm in Ontario. We have 35 regulated sports books in here that are just giving away- You learn from me. Giving away money. Why would I not take this money, right? But okay, I can place- five bets on one book and then I'm, I'm limited to a hundred bucks. And then I place another five bets and I'm limited to $3. It becomes exponentially harder to scale. So I think that there's like a happy medium to be found there where people can still find it valuable to originate, make their own numbers on games, try to beat a market at scale. Maybe it's not at post, maybe it's not game day, could be overnights or whatever, but I, I still think that there's some inherent value in that. Oh, of course there's inherent value. And I, I'll talk about Brad again. Like Brad Powers does, you know, um, the, the bottom-up approach, but he's smart. He's not like a dummy, like a lot of the bottom-up people. A lot of the bottom-up people, the, the problem they have is they're, they're, they're it's, it's too academic for them. They, they, they feel like the way to win at sports is, oh, let me take all of my notes and st- study all night long go over everything, spend 12 hours, and then at 3 p.m. I'll go take my final exam, all right? And all those people, I get it. You can talk all you want about, hey, now there's no um, logistics problems, no liquidity problems. I can bet 100,000 a game in the NFL. I've done all my work. I can make zillions of dollars. I get it. That all makes sense when the market's somewhat inefficient, which may well apply still to hockey and it may well apply to MMA, but I don't think it applies anymore to the NFL or to college basketball. And all those people that profess that, maybe I'm just running in the wrong circles. They're not betting 100,000 a game. They're not betting 20,000 a game. They're not you know, living in mansions. They're making a living and they're winning, but they're grinding. Whereas the right way to do it is, and, and I tweeted about this and, I, and, and I'm using one guy because I have no affiliation whatsoever with Brad, other than, you know, we live in, you know, we're, 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 um, we both worked together previously and he's a real sharp guy and he evolved. And so here comes the Super Bowl line. It opens up at 51 in the total. This is a college football handicapper. He does 95% of his work in college football. There is no way that Brad Powers should ever get a sharp bet that Rob Pozzola doesn't get first or Steve Fezzik doesn't get first or that 20 other NFL experts don't get first, but he got it. He got the 51 under and we didn't because as soon as he bet it and moved, we should be personally embarrassed by that. That is just, that's just an embarrassment that we let a college football guy grab our total from underneath our noses. I'm embarrassed. I picked up a 51 and a half under, but it is what it is. Minus 08, but it <laughs> there you go. it's all good. I was, I was actually passed out. At, like I was so drunk after watching the game. I had won a big bet on the Eagles earlier in the day. So it's like celebratory for me. I wasn't jumping on that early line, but for more of Brad Powers, he is part of the hammer betting network. You can check out the hit the books channel best college football stuff out there honestly would put him up there with the best college football creators must check out his stuff but to get back to what you're saying Steve you know I was I originated baseball for a long time and I think many of your points are valid so when I first started originating baseball it's probably 2015 or 2016 and if I woke up in the morning I'd probably have 15 edges on a full board you know, sides, totals, uh, run line, whatever. And then three years later, I'd wake up in the morning and there's two games that I can bet. And now I'll wake up two years later and there's there's no games to bet in the morning because they've been pounded into shape overnight. It, it kind of has become that way 
where it's more and more challenging if you're that bottom up person to sustain that living unless you, it, it's basically a race to see who can get down the earliest at this point. Exactly, exactly right. So I had a discussion years ago with Gil Alexander out in Vegas. He's on VSIN, does a great job with the numbers game. And he, he was a baseball handicapper. He would give it out to his clients plays. And, and I would like, I'd, I'd literally be screaming at him and I'd be like, you got to give them out overnight because Texas would be plus 140 overnight. And then he'd give out plus 118. And then he'd get closing line value because they closed plus 105 and he'd break even or lose a little or win a little. And I'd be like, I, I, and I would tell him, I don't care who you like at, at, at noon on game day. Don't care. You've got your model right here. You don't know the team has the flu. You don't know this team that this pitcher has been out all night drinking before his, before he's going to pitch. These other ancillary factors are not in your, your model. Mm-hmm. And so your model is going to be flawed because it doesn't have the full information that the marketplace necessarily has. However, your model is certainly winning against the opening number that the sports books put up. Put up so you can beat the the openers, no problem. But then once the market limits go higher, then there's there's still people that can win, but they become few and far between. Agreed. I mean, I I do a, I do a show every Sunday morning in the NFL because there's a huge demand for it, and I start every single show by saying that I'm a pro better, but I don't even think I can win by placing bets at this time anymore. I'll give out my opinions on the game, but it's either something that I didn't think has moved far enough or where there's market resistance against something that I like. And neither of those is great to bet into. And I think, you know, a lot of people will always ask me, you know, if the number moves against you, do you put down more money on the game? And it's like, no, I don't. I'm, I, I know what my, you know, what my blind spots are. Maybe somebody knows something about this game, exactly what you've said, like players injured, flu, whatever. They didn't travel properly the night before. I think that there is... Everything nowadays in sports betting or even in society, I think is one extreme or the other. And there's no one willing to settle in the middle and just say, hey, there's elements of both that we can incorporate here. I'm friends with Eric Waz, um, who you may may or may not know. But last time I was in Vegas, sat down, had a dinner with him. And he incorporates a lot of the the new stuff or even narrative-based stuff into his handicapping and has success with doing that. And people will just dismiss that. And for me, I think there's just inherent value in both the model number, like the math, and the subjectivity and new stuff. And if you can combine them together, you're better off than just taking one approach or the other. And I'm not sure if you whether or not you agree with that. I agree 100%, not just in sports betting, but in life, I'll, I'll use the far be for me to like further polarize the United States. But the biggest problem we have is that it's everything or nothing. All right. You either don't want me to be able to go out and buy a rifle to go hunting, or you want me to be able to go out and buy the biggest bazooka available in the marketplace. Can we have like it's somewhere in the middle? I think is is a re- you can, you might personally disagree with that, but I think we have the compromise that that is you know where we should land and have instead of just being so adamant that you're right and I'm wrong about everything. And so you hear all the time the only way to win betting sports is blah blah blah. Now there are dozens and dozens and dozens of ways to win betting on sports. Um, I will say there are some ways that are better than others. 
because if you just calculate what the expected um, edge is, if it isn't that high, you should find other methods. The uh, the like left versus right and centrist idea is funny, but uh, at the end of the day, I think the reason we don't get the center stuff is because then like both people are just unhappy. Yeah. So you might as well just, like be like, then you're both mad. It's, it's even worse. And it's probably the same with the CLV debate and the truthers and stuff on Twitter as well. Personally, um, I do think like originating actually has mo- a significantly harder work, more risk, less upside than top down approach. And mainly the reason why is when you're originating, it actually, if you mess, if you are not as thorough and don't put as much time into it, your mistakes will be uh, amplified. Yep. If you're doing the top down approach and you fuck up a couple bets or you're not there, you miss a couple moves. Worst case, you got a rough market number and you're there. If you're an originator and you're just betting your opinion into open market every day at the same time and you win, you're going to win a good amount. If you lose, you're going to lose a lot of money. You're going to lose more than you would have won. Uh, in the upside scenario. So I'm a big proponent of not originating the major market sport, like not originating NFL and stuff like that. Or like Rob said, and like you've been saying, originate in a way where you're also taking into account getting good numbers and making sure you're constantly there. Because if you're just going to originate and say, I put my plays in every Wednesday at 3 p.m., you're getting smoked regardless. Yeah. I, I think I think the inherent, like I think what's very interesting about this whole debate, and again, I'm way more in the center of this than anyone else, but one approach is reliant on the other, right? If there was nobody originating and no one betting bottom up, the top-down approach doesn't work because there's no one shaping that market. So I think that's where it's like, a, you know, I, I would advise most bettors to take a top-down approach. I don't think a lot of them have it in them, have the skills, the math, the, you know, the whether that you you need to be an Excel guru or have some programming knowledge, automation. There's tons that goes into being able to originate a market that, frankly, people just don't know what it takes. Years and years and years of backtesting models, some things like that to get it to a certain level. But if if I was to in, never encourage, like if you're to discourage that and say, oh, you should never do this, then the other approach, the top down doesn't doesn't work. There's no one in market to shape it for you. Nah, it's still, it's still and using using uh, d- just building a model and doing it in a sport, even if you're not successful, will build betting acumen and make you better across the board. I think in general, I do get a kick out of, um, you know, some of the MIT guys of the world saying, oh, creating a betting model is just not that, it's, it's just not that difficult. I'm like, it, it's not that difficult for everyone with a 780 math SAT that's like has a degree in computer science. For the average human being that works for a concrete company, it's going to be a little um, No, but th- those guys still aren't aren't winning much money. Like it's it's very easy. It's very easy, sure, to potentially build a model that can predict where the lines and move, but to actually get the money down, do it all, like you're not going to win much. Like, Give me, give me a really, really good NFL model. I don't necessarily think that I would earn significantly more than maybe I do right now on NFL. A really good NFL model, probably like 2% ROI, 2 to 3% ROI on a ton of liquidity. Sure. If it, so, so like, give me the chances. Like if you're telling me, yeah, this model is going to earn 2% or whatever you get down, you have the info. Yes. Okay. I'm going to crush that yeah. obviously. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is like, give me a good NFL model in a sense that like this could potentially beat the market this year. We don't know if it's going to beat the market this year, but it's high likelihood. Obviously over time, it's going to change. 
sure, it might earn this year. Next year, I might go go ham on that one. I'm going even harder. Now, guess what? Don't have an edge. Gave back all my profits from last year plus doubled that because I went hard on it. Like, that's the risk of getting a good model and stuff like that. And then obviously- Yeah, like, let me- Go ahead. I, let me address this because like, and, and I'm sorry if this comes across wrong, but like I'll, I'll, I'll talk to experts and they'll say, well, I personally did have a losing year, you know, betting football this year. Like, like they have no idea how damning that statement is. It's impossible to have a losing year. It's not like, like Brad Powers isn't going to have a losing year in a hundred zillion years because he's making too many bets where he's playing under 52 when they close that, when it closes 41, I mean, you, your, your edges, you've got to find bigger edges. If you're having actually having a losing year or your bet sizing, I, well, I do get it. I mean, if, if, if you've had great success, like, and you're betting $50,000 a game, and, and the like, and you can't, then you certainly could. Have, Billy Walters could have a losing year in the NFL if, because he's if, playing if you're not with smaller staking, edges. Yeah, well, if you're not staking correctly, then then obviously the variance will get you and you have a losing year. Or if you're playing like super, super aggressive, definitely you can have a losing well, season per sport. Well, also to Steve's point, like if you're betting the NFL, uh, you might end up with 50 bets a year if you're just betting sides and totals. And you, you know what the variance is, even if you have just a 2 to 3% edge. Yeah, you could, lose, you could lose on 50 bets. But to lose like on the full year yeah. with the top down, it's, it's like you're just not trying or you're not doing well. I mean, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to have more than 50 bets that I make on Sunday just in live week. week. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I mean, that's and people be, well, that, well, that's crazy. No one could win playing that. It, it, I, I, I use an example with the opener and the Super Bowl within – 15 minutes, I had bet at one, the same book circa, they don't care. They're, 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 they're tremendous book. I, I went ahead and bet plus one and a half. I missed the two and a half. I think Crackman got it. So I took Eagles plus one and a half. And then literally 15 minutes later, I took Kansas City plus two and a half. At the same book, not even at different books, the same book within 15 minutes. So there you go. You have a, a, a little bit of a middle there. And then as of right now, I mean, it depends on the juice you got there, but both of those look to be decent prices as of the, this exact moment, at least. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter if they're good prices. The Eagles could close minus five. It's still a good middle. Oh, fair There's enough. There's nothing wrong fair, with it. Fair enough. I, I just more meant like, typically I'm not a proponent of middling or scalping or arbing games. If I'd rather just, you know, bet the one side that is going to give me the EV and leave the other side. You know, and, and, and this is a great discussion because I have people are critical of me. I have an always playback philosophy. So if I'm using the, uh, the top down approach, let's say I'm, I'm right angle sports is about to release. Okay. And they give out Michigan under 134 and I get it. I'm fortunate enough to get it. Even though I'm not going to get much, it's going to move. And then it drops down to 131. And then there's a 130. I'm like, I'm playing over. And people are like, well, wait a minute. You've got this great CLV closing line value. Why would you possibly dilute that? And I'm like, because I'm not a big fan of the please God right angle sports be right on this game. I mean, but they've won 56%. Doesn't mean they're going to win 56% going forward. Leap of faith. Um, there's plenty, there's plenty of handicappers out there that have long-term 30 year records that have hit, you know, 54, 55%. What do I expect them to hit going forward? No way they're hitting 53 and percent on their releases on game day. No way. Well, the way I see that, Steve, is that if you do believe, if you don't believe that they're hitting 53%, then, then you can play back. And then if you're going to win playing back, then eventually the market will play back. And then the closing line will be efficient anyways, in the long run. So for me, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to disagree. It doesn't matter. I'm going to disagree. There's, there's too many followers. There's too many lemmings in the market. But, there's but, people. So why, if you, if you don't agree, like if you're making millions of dollars, why don't you just slam back everywhere and then you get free money? So why would you not, like, why are you not playing it back into range then if you disagree? 
if, if, if you tell me we're going to flip the coin, okay, and if it comes up heads, I'm getting plus 100.25. How much should I be betting on that? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I've got, but it, but you're, but I, what you're saying is it's, it's moving down four points and you're like, nah, now I'm just leaving it there. If you, if, if you don't think that the four point position is good, you probably have at least two points in college basketball, right? So at a minimum, you can play a two point arb depending on the juice and be profitable in that depending on the game total. So if you're looking at a four point move, if that doesn't move back at least two points and you know, Ras had the edge. And again, I have no affiliation with Ras. Like we, we got to have Ed on or something like that. I'm not defending Ras and saying they're going to win by any means. I'm just defending the concept here of eventually in the long run, the closing line value is more efficient every single day and every single bet that goes into it. So if Ras so is using, then that'll reflect in the market. Otherwise well, well, you make tons of money uh, off that. Eventually if they, if they lose, let me, let me just break it down. So Braz releases an under 134. All right. And it closes, and, and like five minutes later, it's sitting at 131, okay? Well, under 134 is going to win, what do we say, 50, we call it 55%, yep. fine. I think, that's, I think that I, maybe you think 56%, I don't, you know, yep. we're, we're going to all be in the same ballpark, all right, under the 134. So it goes to 132. Well, now it's right around 50% at that point in time, right around there, all right? And now it goes to 131. Um, and so at this point, maybe, maybe set, let's say it settles in at 132, by example. So we've got a fine bet under 134. Why didn't I bet a zillion? Because I couldn't get down. The line moved too fast. I was only able to get a, at a book or two. And then boom, Westgate goes to 131. All right, I'm playing over 131. That looks like it's going to be, you know, 52.5%, 52.7% type bet, whatever it is. And that has positive EV. But you know what? There's not a lot of 131 in the market. Because 132 is what the market is, but the similar to the financial markets, volatility is your friend. When everybody's dealing 132, it's hard to make money. When some books are still out there stale 133, and some books are overreacting, saying we're not going to take one more bet on this Dayton under. The heck with that, and we're going to be the low man on, on, on uh, you know in the entire marketplace. 15 minutes later, after a hundred, after a thousand people have all copied off of each other playing the same thing. I think it's a little bit naive to think the market is efficient to that point and not being a little bit too low based upon all of those followers. But in, in theory, so let's say it goes too low and now you bet it. A group of other people are like, yeah, 131 pops, RAS overcorrection, whatever. I got to bet that back. Now those 131s are gone. So the, in theory, wherever it settles is the correct price at the end of the day. If they have overcorrected it and it goes down to 128 and nobody hits it, 128 is the, the correct price. There's no overcorrection. If you hit it back up to 132, what I'm saying is like, I will hit them if I, if I believe it. Like I can take down an entire market. You can take down entire market. Pizzola's got, we can take down entire market. So why are we saying like, oh, it's, it's an edge or it's not an edge. Like wherever it closes, that is the correct line. It doesn't matter who gave it out or how far it moved. I, I agree. I, I've got to beat the closing number. And I'm, I, what I'm saying is if, uh, the model of wait 10 minutes after a RAS release and play anti-RAS with the best number on the screen I am very confident would bet that that will that will clobber closing line, but clobber it will beat closing line by enough to be profitable. Fair enough. But so in that like scenario, you said, then you think that isolated bet is good in its own. In which case, right. yeah, of course, I, I agree. But I can't bet ten zillion dollars on it. I can bet one thousand dollars on it. Exactly. Right. Fair yeah. Enough. So do you do you play back on any other scenarios or just that? I play back on good stories. I'll, I do this all the time in the NFL. I feel like when there is a good story. Example, the Bengals O-line, they got three guys out. They're not going to be able to block anyone against Buffalo. That's a good story. 
So what happens? It opens three and a half and everyone's going to bet Buffalo because it, it makes a lot of sense. And anyone who watched the playoffs last year knows the Bengals couldn't protect Burrow and he's God and all, and he zips the ball out, but that's a real problem. So that line goes all the way to six. And then not only does it go to six, you can get plus six reduced. That's an example of the, I think that the good story gets disseminated too much in the market where initially the minus three and halves and minus fours were good bets on Buffalo but when you can take the Bengals plus six reduced, you got to do that. I agree with you. I think that there's often like a an over move on a lot of these situations where, you know, at that plus six number, like people are still betting Buffalo saying like, oh, the Bengals offensive line, three injuries. It's like, well, that's already accounted for in the price. It was, that's why the move happened in the first place. And I think we see a lot of this in the NFL, Steve, with the, the downgrade to backup quarterbacks in the first game where like, immediately everyone okay the news happens right everyone bets it because it's a, it's a downgrade starting quarterback to backup in most inst- instances is a downgrade in a lot of cases significant of course you want to get on that but it just keeps going and going and going and going and i mean anyone who's been betting the backup quarterback at post in the nfl for the last several years has made a lot of money doing that i mean I, I think I think this is like one of those situations where people just like the number does you know it's a price sensitivity thing right and obviously like the average person is not moving the market but the difference between betting a two and a half and a three the bit difference between tailing a right angle sports play at under one thirty four versus under one thirty two I think this concept is completely lost on a lot of people especially with this in, in, you know this saturation of these new betters in the space because of regulation. Everyone just wants to be on the same side as someone else. I can't even tell you how many times people message me in my, during the day. What do you like in hockey tonight? Well, I liked things at minus 120. They're minus 145 now. I'm not going to, I don't want to tell them the team that I bet because they're just going to go bet it at a certain price. Do you think that that's ever going to change, Steve? Because like, I, 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 I struggle to see it changing just because of the lack of education in the space and also just like so many people who are, unable to grasp the concept for whatever reason. I, I don't think it ever will. And to, to use an example, like if, if all you did was like listen to every expert and podcast Monday and Tuesday in that Buffalo Cincinnati game, when the line was four, everyone was going to prefer Buffalo that had a brain because I mean, the, the, because the, 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 the number hadn't moved. So you're like, literally you look like put little check marks, color coded, like nine of my 10 experts all prefer Buffalo. That's got to be the right side. Well, that's big. if they'd done all their podcasts when the line was six, that wouldn't necessarily have been the case. I even make the joke when a line is like 2.6, all right, on Saturday night in the NFL, oftentimes that line moves up to three. Right. Because what's happening is that in the global marketplace, uh, unfortunately, in the business that I am, I'm in, you know, with um, there's a lot of handicappers. There's not one handicapper out there with the, worth the salt that's going to give out a plus two and a half when the line's 2.65. It's just like, it, I know you can give out plus two and a half even money, but they're going to pass. Or if they like the other side, they're going to lay the two and a half. So that line is going to go to three. And conversely, if a line's plus three, lay $1.15 or minus $1.20, a lot of times that line goes down to two and a half just because every expert is landing on that game and the public isn't sensitive enough to the fact, realizing, you know what, you can lay two and a half. You cannot lay minus three on this game. Understood. Fair enough. So, Steve, one question for you, just in, in regards to the betting here, is uh, you mentioned Circa Sportsbook, and obviously you're in Las Vegas. But so, where is like the bulk of your your action, your handle getting down on? Is it more like the Vegas, the Vegas scene? 
Yeah, so Circa takes the biggest limit. So that's where I bet the most. And Caesars has really um, stepped up their game. Caesars is the second best sports book in Vegas. William Hill in Nevada? Yes, yes. I only speak to Nevada. I live in Nevada. And so I'm betting in Nevada. And those two two books, I would say, um, just because on the app, every other book, the limits are so low. And it's, it's not so easy. So to use an example, I'll give a story. You know, the MGM lets me bet on the app and their limits are low. So I just happened to be at an MGM property. I went up to bet and they said, they voided the bets. They said, sir, you got you to bet on the app. All right, fine. So I put in the bets on the app at lower limits. All right. And I put them in. Then I walk up and I ask for, oh, can I get, can I get a drink ticket? It's easy to get drink tickets in Vegas. It's no big deal. And they look at me and the ticket writer says, I'm sorry, sir. Drink tickets are only for people who bet at the cash window. So, I mean, it's like, 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 so the MGM's telling me they don't like me. They're, they're happy, but, but they take my bets on the app, even though they're reduced. So um, it's really hard to lose a lot of money gambling on these apps when you're a sharp, because it's so hard to like for them to take any volume. Yes. <laughs> at least that's a, a positive way to spin it. Right. It's hard to lose a lot when you can't bet a lot. That's for sure. Yes. Who, who are these guys on the internet? They're posting like, $50,000 bets. Well, that, and it's like, it's, it, that's the thing, it, Steve. It's, like, it's, it's out. They're outing themselves and they don't even they are, know it. They're outing it, themselves. It's as in fish. the movie, The Sting. Um, the, 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 he said it best. You know, one of the, one of the gamblers, they're playing a poker game. And they're like, they wouldn't let you play in this game if you weren't a sucker. Yes. <laughs> they wouldn't let you bet 50,000 if you weren't a chump. The saddest thing though, about that, the, that entire situation is you'll have the person who posts the $50,000 bet $100,000 bet as if it's some sort of flex because we know why they're getting that. Like all the sharp bettors know why that person is getting those limits. But then you have the following of people who don't know, right? Like all the rec bettors are like, oh, this person must be like, it, it's just like this self-fulfilling prophecy where now this person gains credibility in the eyes of 99% of the people that are out there because they don't have the, you know, they're just not immersed in the space and don't understand that this is embarrassing. And that's that's the biggest thing in the space. I'm bothered by many things. That might be the single biggest one. When people dunk on themselves and they don't realize it, but everyone else just eats it up. It's like, oh, you're the goat. You're this and you're that. And it's like, no, no, this person is not the goat of sports betting. Yeah. And, and sports betting in many ways, it's like blackjack. No one's going to come out and say, oh, I'm a big man. I can go ahead and shuffle track like, like a god in six decks. And I tell you when the aces are coming up, because think about this. It's like, why, if you were that good, would you make um, try to like bring it to everyone's attention that you're this great like mastermind that can beat the casinos and then ultimately get, you know, get your limits? Now, I'm in a unique situation. A lot of casinos will let me play that don't let other people play because then I say positive things about them because, and, and you know why I say positive things because they let me play. Yep. And so I can see the positives and why should I, I, I rip on a casino that's treating, treating me well. The old I, influencer partnership. It's, it's a little bit unfair. Like I get it. And the same thing happens to me, obviously for the same reasons I have a social media presence where if I wanted to berate a sports book, it's going to affect their business in some way or another. Uh, if I have done that in the past, believe me, they reach out to me right away to, to right the wrong. And they're hopeful that I will, you know, spin it positively. But it is kind of sad that we've gotten to that state because it, it's like, what about the poor person who, you know, doesn't have the 
doesn't have your sixty thousand uh, sixty thousand uh, followers on Twitter, Steve, who's in the same boat as you and gets restricted and can't do anything about it. I, I just hate how the industry has become. You know, every better can be treated in a different way rather than every better is treated like the same person. So in some ways, I respect the South Point. South Point doesn't take my action, all right? So I can't bet at the South Point, Chris Andrews, and he does a fine job, and everyone loves Vinny Maiello and Jimmy Vaccaro over there. But they won't take my action. The one thing I don't like is that the South Point does a lot of things, and this is true not just South Point, but other books. They're a paper tiger. They beat their chest about all the really good things they do, like they did last week where they dealt the nickel line on the money line in the conference championships. And they do take some big action, but ultimately you're being asked not to play if you're a sharp better. And what, and the thing that I think is naive about all this, you know what? I can get Rob to go in there and bet for me. I can get like the hitman to go in and bet for me. There's a, a I, I, if I want to get down 24 seven against your book, and if you want to really make me angry, you know, by, 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 by calling me out, I, I assure you, I will hold no grudges and I will get 10 times the volume against you than I ever would have gotten just betting myself. I like that out of spite. I'm like, I'm like that in the same, Fair enough. in the same way. You can. Yeah. I mean, if you, Ken, Kenny, in, in the book, this, this is Kenny used to million dollar blackjack. So the Westward Ho, which is um, a McDonald's now <laughs> used to, it's right, right where resorts world and Riviera were um, and the old stardust. So $200 max bet and they barred Kenny Houston. And he was furious and he called it, he's got his blackjack team betting 2000 a hand at all these different places. He's like, tonight's the Westward Ho night. Go in there, get the coupon, get the, the don't lose on 22 coupon, right. save it for when you double 11 and catch the ace, then use it, save 400 bucks instead of 200. It's time to pound the hoe. <laughs> all right, Steve, I'm going to pivot here. I would be doing a disservice to our audience if I didn't ask you the tough questions. There will be people that are very upset with me for having you on this circles off this week because they will say, oh, Steve Fezzik is a scam tout. You know, he's selling picks, so on and so forth. If he's such a winning better, then why is he selling picks? I'll give you the floor here to explain your process in terms of the pick selling in specific because uh, generally speaking, I think it's it's something that people want to know about. Sure. And... I, I bet my bets and then I give them out to my clients. I'm not compromising the marketplace. My clients would do better if I gave them to my clients before I bet them and I move the market sometimes, but I don't. I'm a first and foremost, I've always been a professional sports better. That's what I did before I worked for any tout service. And you know, it's up to the consumer to decide, is there value? Is there not value? Also, Wait, I'm like the one honest value? guy in this business. Do you actually think there's the, value then? Yeah. Do I think that's a great question? Do I think there's value? So I'm independently tracked by a guy named Computer Bob. He gets all my plays. He's tracked me um, over the years. I've won on eight of my 10 years at pregame against market widely available numbers. And I did, I did have lost twice, two years. I've had big years last year, 100 units. Um, and I'm the first to tell everyone, don't buy my picks. You want to buy, I know my picks are for sale. You can buy my best bet on a Monday night college basketball game, $22. All right. People are like, I'm betting on 200 a game. Should I buy it? No, don't buy my picks. I don't want you to buy my picks. The only way you're going to win is to buy my annual packages, get all my plays so that you're not paying $22 when you're betting $100 a game. And he's probably, you know what? You probably still shouldn't buy my annual packages. My, however, 
let's say you're going to gamble anyways, and you're going out there and you're going to hit 50%. With me, you're going to hit 53%. I think that's a realistic target. That's what I've hit historically over a pregame. And people derive pleasure also from winning versus losing and being a winning better. But to think that you could win betting low amounts is naive. And, and I, I, laid it out, I, I lay it out to, to clients. I'm honest with them about that. So one of the biggest criticisms would be, okay, you sell picks over at pregame. How much is the annual package? Sorry. So what happens is that typically it's $999 for like football for the year. And then if you're savvy and you get coupons and you wait for like, like we'll have an early bird, you can get it for like $699. i am just making these numbers up. They're approximately correct. Yes. Okay. And so I assume, uh, like a, a Super say- Bowl package that I put, that I put up and I'm selling it for $39. You could buy it for $29 for 24 hours. You get all my prop bets on the Super Bowl. So I was, what I was going to say more is like, okay, let's say it's a thousand bucks off the average price, maybe 700 or whatever. Chop that up. Let's say you're getting 350 a sub to your pocket. I don't know how many subs you have, but the, the point, and again, this is not my opinion, but what a lot of people do have a criticism with is like, if you are going to win, hit 53% or more in NFL, you won a couple um, super contests. We know you have the money to actually bet and get down. It's not like you're undercapitalized. Oh, I only have a thousand bucks to my name. We know that's not the case. Why? What do you need the extra 10 grand for? Five grand for from selling the picks? When you can play that on, if you're, if you're doing so well, you can just make that money anyways. Well, I can't, I can't make that money because I am making it anyways. So... I, this is just extra revenue. So Johnny, Ch- let me use an example. So Johnny Chan is a great poker player and people hire him as a consultant to help them with poker. Phil Helmuth does the same. Why does Phil Helmuth represent different poker? He, he's a great poker player. He could just play poker and make a living. Um, why, why do great fund managers work as fund managers when they could just invest themselves and make a good living? Because you know what? They can do both. It's not, they're not mutually exclusive in any way, shape, or form. The one exception to that is horse racing. I've been hypercritical of the horse racing industry because how the hell can I make money in a paramutual pool if I'm telling all you guys to bet my horse and now I get paid four to one instead of six to one? But in theory, sports betting is like that too because it is a lower liquidity market, right? Like obviously with the stock market, and, and by the way, I also am against, I would be vehemently against using a hedge fund manager to manage your, your finances and paying a fee on that uh, as well. But in general... Like, it just doesn't add up to some people. Like, hey, I make so much money, I hit 56%, but also, like, buy my picks for, you know, I'm going to take home 300 bucks off this and might get an extra 5000 Like, yes, I get it. Make money where you can. But it's tough to believe that there's going to be, like, value in those picks. And if there was, then there's no reason to give them out for 350 bucks. You know what I mean? Or, or, or like, what's, why wouldn't you just, like, go get on a free roll somewhere with someone if it's so good and probably make hundred times that amount. How do you know I'm not doing that? It, all I'm saying is like in general, if the picks are good, there's no way you would want that to be sold for $300. And it's very hard to believe that the people who are buying those picks are going to be able to make money off of, off of them in the longer. But like, I might, do you disagree, Ralph? I don't I, mean to call you. I know I, I get, I'm getting a little so, like, attacky. so I, I, I do, that, do I do disagree, but I've also been involved in pick sales before, right? I ran Prediction Machine for a year. I, I've been in there before. People are like, well, you don't need the money. You're betting on sports or whatever. It's like, well, I'm driven by money. And if I can still bet this myself and I still feel like I'm giving out valuable plays, which I did, I would never, by the way, like if I lost my edge or felt like it wasn't a value to anyone, whatever I'm doing, whether it's content, pick sales, product, 
I would never promote that. But I've been there, so I feel it. And like, there's this, there's this tout chart that's that circulates all the time by <laughs> yes. by Sprager, right? And then Rufus retweets it, and this and that. And it's like, this is not the be all and end all. Like, there's so many different shoot offs of that chart, in my opinion, that are not fair. Now, I think it's a valid question, though, of if you are betting this yourself and you are selling it, I mean, that could potentially impact your own livelihood there. So if you think that there's something of value here, what's stopping someone from going and beating up the market with the numbers that you're giving out, the plays you're giving up? What's stopping someone from potentially reverse engineering what you're doing? Like you post public power ratings for NFL as well. Like there's all that stuff that's out there. There is... I think it's legitimate for someone to question whether or not there's value in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, this is a great point because the second, let's say I like an under in the game and I bet under 140. If I give out one under 140, I will never see 141. If I stay quiet about it, it's possible I might get a better number and be able to bet it again. So pretty much when I release that, there goes my second kick at the can, if you will, that I potentially could do. But I, I don't think you should be discussing me. I'm just a minor cog in this in the greater picture Use right angle sports. Why is right angle sports? They they bet their stuff. They compromise no, the market. I'll explain. I'll explain the difference. Okay, so so I'm Please. glad you brought that up. So here's the, and if you guys want to just tell me after, hey, shut the fuck up. That's no, no, no. you're you entitled to your me. opinion. Obviously. So so pretty much, Steve. Okay, and I'm gonna give the real limits here that we can get. Okay, so question would be, what time does your pick package come out for NFL? Like, when do those plays get released? It all varies. Okay, roughly, if you were to pick, like, do, do any go out early week? Do any go out on Sunday? Tip, tip, typically, I'll have one or two releases early in the week, Sunday night, Monday, one midweek, and then uh, come Friday and Saturday, I'll start putting up props and maybe one additional side or total. Got it. Okay, so what I'm hearing from that is, like, majority will come before the limits are super high, and that is that is good for the actual customers in theory. But so here's what I'm saying. You mentioned, here's the info we have. You release earlier in the week. You bet the play before it gets released, all right? So what that tells me is you're not even betting the max amount of money that you can bet on that play before it gets released because there's still it's still a widely available market number that you're giving out. The limit's there. You're betting in Vegas. Take down every Vegas out. You might be able to get 10, maybe a rebet on circa. It's 20, 30, 40. So you're not betting above 40 dimes a game right there already early week. That would be a, sh- a shock if you're betting above 40 dimes a game. So what I'm saying is if there's so much value in those plays and you've hit every year, 56%, whatever, tracked 100 units last year. I, I don't hit 50. Who said I hit 56%? 50, I don't 53, hit 53 Sorry, 53. But, but for example, like 100 units last year, like big, big years, stuff like that. In what scenario are you just leaving those numbers on the board? You would just make more money by taking down all of the numbers instead of giving it to your consumers to play. So it, it's it a great question. So I'm it's a great question. So, so do I just throw Kelly Criterion out, out in the garbage can? I'm a professional gambler. I have a million dollar bankroll. I think this play is a 54% bet, all right? Which is really good on an NFL side. I have a 3% edge. Bang, that's a $30,000 full Kelly bet with a full million dollar bankroll. If I'm betting half Kelly, that's only $15,000. $15,000 is not going to compromise the NFL marketplace. So even then, early in so, the week. So then, had you win hundred? If you won hundred units last year, then there you go. There's your bankroll, well above hundred million. You've been doing this for years. You have millions in super contest winnings. Like it just, it doesn't add up that early week. How am I going to bet fifteen thousand dollars on 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 a prop bet that's not widely available? 
What I'm saying is if you're giving it out and it's available, but you bet them before, it just, it's impossible. It doesn't add up. Because if you were to have bet everything in the market to get the max amount, it wouldn't be available for your subscribers. Difference between you and RAS, not to defend RAS again, because now I'm like a RAS truther, is on the college basketball total, I vehemently believe right angle sports will get, will make more money from the pick selling service than they will from betting those picks. And Ed has made that conscious decision that his pick sell service will make him more money to sell them than what he can get down. In your scenario, it's impossible that the pick selling service can make you more money than getting down on the picks, given the time and the liquidity in the market in that time. And also given the fact that you're mentioning that you bet the plays before you give them up. You know, it's a great point that you, you, when you talk about props, I think I might, I might agree with you. If I was capitalized throughout the country and I could bet in other states, you're right. I would be much better off whacking these bets at FanDuel, DraftKings in Colorado, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Maine. And by the time I got done with them, then the value would be gone and I couldn't give it out. But I'm not in those states to bet those plays. So they're sitting out there and I'm literally staring at a screen where I'm like, well, I can't bet these and they're fantastic. And it's true. If I have uh, a subscriber in California or Nevada that doesn't have access to these books, he's not going to be able to benefit from those as well. So, I mean, it's, it, it, it's an excellent point that um, with the legalization of sports betting, it has become way easier to win betting on sports. If you're located in certain States to the point that there are people that have actually, they'll drive across Hoover Dam to bet in Arizona that live in Nevada. Think about that. It's better in Arizona than to bet in Nevada on sports. That's crazy. All right, but forget about the props. Early week, when you release a play, is that number still available in Vegas? Yes. So then you're not betting the max you can on it. No, I am betting the max I can. I'm betting Kelly Criterion. What do you want me to do? Just, just go bankrupt? Are you advocating I overbet Kelly such that I put my, my, my risk of ruin out there? Okay, but if You the, want me to bet more than Kelly? I'm not saying bet more than Kelly. What I'm saying is if you, you just have did. been a proven winner for the past... 30 seasons, including two super contest wins and a hundred units last year, your Kelly staking should be far greater than unless you're like just jam spending money. Like you wouldn't believe in Vegas. You should have a lips, a bankroll at this time that it enables you to bet more than 40 dimes a game, in which case you would have completely maxed out Vegas and 40 dimes is an aggressive target for just Vegas right now. Given that you can bet Will Hill station circa, and then a couple others like, you know, might be limited MGM. Here you go. So, so to summarize, to summarize, I think what you're saying is that I should have a $5 million bankroll and I'm financially incompetent not to have done so. And I largely agree. Yes. All right. I fa fair enough. I, I do want, like, again, I don't mean to attack and that is what I'm doing directly here. So I do want to apologize if it, 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 for that because I, I am attacking here, but it's more for the discussion there. And uh, I'm happy to close it off there unless Rob- Johnny, are you, are you married with children? Uh, I am not. Okay. So you don't have a like $7,000 mortgage payment per month. You don't have a $2,000 like tuition. It doesn't mean I'd ha I don't have month. those because I'm not married with children, but, but fair enough. You don't have, see where I'm going is that you, you like, like the single guys just, they they never really think about like, it's almost like, wow, if, if you're a doctor making, you know, 300,000 a year, you should be like a cabillionaire. No, 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 no. And they don't I'm, really- I'm basing it based on sports betting and, and based on the numbers that you are saying has won. You just mentioned you had 10 out of the last, like 
All right, whatever. We can go back. Go, go. If you're listening at home, Sizzle or someone like that, toss this on a spreadsheet. It, it, it should be pretty clear based on the performance. I, I know what you're saying, Steve, because I've, I've personally experienced the, I, I think, I think personally your lifestyle is conducive with risking whatever you possibly can. And like, I, I'm not here. I'm not here to defend Steve. I'm not here to argue with you. I think everybody's spoken on the situation, but like I cannot bet as much as I want to bet on games because my wife is so risk averse that it doesn't matter if she sees the results of money coming in. Yes. Every year it's well, what happens if we have a losing year? I mean, that's the boat I'm in. So I understand that point of view. I mean, let's do let's do the math, guys. I bet ten thousand dollars on four NFL games a week. Okay. I have I hit fifty five percent. I have a five percent ROI. I make five hundred dollars per play. That's only two thousand dollars a week. That's eight thousand dollars a month. It doesn't well, even pay my nut. Years, it doesn't, then it doesn't after even come the first close. Year, you're up to twelve thousand. Then you're Kelly staking. Then you roll. That compounds. You are assuming after that how is, it, how is it compounding? So no, like, no, no, no. How I is am. it compounding when I have when I when I have a nut of twelve thousand a month and I'm making eight? Where is where is the compoundation? I'm saying of the, I'm of saying the, of, over the, of like, my assets not, going up versus down. I'm saying it's not like you just started sports betting last year. I'm saying this is I understand years and years and years. But all right. Again, I apologize that I don't have like a billion dollars to be betting or or a hundred million to be betting in the marketplace. And you're right. If I did, then I should not be selling it because I would. If I was betting anywhere close to Kelly, it would compromise the marketplace. I agree. If you were betting full Kelly at a $2 million roll, yep. which if you're as good as you say you are, then you should have, then there, this, then that's my argument. If you're saying, hey, my bankroll is only one mil because I have put other stuff into other investments and whatever, and I want to be risk averse, then in theory, Steve is correct on that. And then he should only be betting 10 a game, in which case he can get that full fill at Circa on an opener does not need to actually move the rest of the market. And in theory, plays would have value and could still attract CLV. So that's my final. And, and I guess where and I guess where I'm coming from with 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 this, and I feel I'm being I'm being hyper criticized. If you go talk to Circa and, 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 and Caesar, they'd be like, oh, none of these guys bet anything, but Fez does. So oh, you're and, like you're picking on the and, one guy in the and industry by the, way, the real deal. The reason I'm the reason I am critical, by the way, is and I've said this to Rob multiple times, I do think you win and I do think you are sharp from everything you say. I know, I know for a fact that you win money. So that is why I'm extra critical on the pick sales because if someone didn't win money betting sports, I know why they're selling picks. And it's because that's their way of making money and they just want to, and they know it's not valuable, but that's the means to make money for them. So if anything, Steve, the reason I'm actually criticizing you is because I know that you win money on your own personal betting. And that makes it a little more confusing to me as to why five grand a year or six grand a year in pick sales would make the difference if the numbers were good. But if, if you're well, Vegas I, Dave, Vegas Dave's scamming. He's, he's, he's not earning any money well, from well, that. I, I, I tell you what, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like um, I like the way Rob has conducted all this. So if he's up for it, I'd be more than happy to put him on my VIP list for, and he can have my plays for football season this upcoming year, if that's okay with Rob. Yeah, I mean, listen, here, here's- Would like, you tail him? I would tail Steve's plays. Now, listen, I, I, here's, here's the thing. We, I have a, we have a mutual contact, right? in Hitman, for example, who I highly respect and I know who wins money, who basically tells me Steve gets a bad rap in this space because of things that he might say on Twitter or so on and so forth. But I, I would, I'd go to bat for this guy and I would bet that. And like, to me, it's extremely important when my contacts in my community that I highly respect, that I know that win would go to bat for someone else. So yes, I would. Now, 
would I advise other people do that? No. Like one of my biggest criticisms, Steve, of the, of the touting, which I honestly don't have an issue with touting in general. I just would go to pregame and I would, there's, there's no picks history anywhere, right? It's, I, I understand that there's marketing involved in pick sales and you have to promote short-term trends and so on and so forth, but I cannot find a Steve Fezzik picks history and you, you mentioned computer Bob documents it or whatever that should be more public or brought to the forefront a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of why we, you know, why I invested in BetStamp and why I believe in BetStamp and what we've been trying to build is like a community of people that are tracked third party independently. So I'd love to take you up on that offer. I'd love to track well, you, them in well, BetStamp privately. So they're not exposed, but so at the end of the year, we could just publicize them and say, these are, this is a documented record for Steve Fezzik. And, and there is there is a document record of pregame. You can get every pick that I make the last ten show, and you click on it, and then you can scroll down, and you can and you can see it. So that is available as well, along with a summary of how I've done for you know for, during the past season for every sport. So that is out there Fair on enough. the site. Okay, I didn't look hard enough. So I mean that. It's a criticism of the site, whatever. That's fair. It's, we're now getting into like semantics here, but yes. this is like um, in in the movie um, the Terminator. They're like, why isn't it easier to find that 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 history? And they're yes. like, they asked the guy, exactly. like, why didn't you bring like these 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 ray guns back with you if you're from the future, so you could take out this guy, and you have to just go back naked without any weapons? And he's like, I didn't build the thing. I'm sorry, right. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean. Listen, this is, I get the arguments from both sides. And I would honestly say that just like a lot of my opinions in in life, I'm somewhere in the middle of understanding where you're both coming from. Um, But I mean, I'd be hypocritical if I was going to berate someone who sells picks because I've sold them before. I know what my life circumstances were when I was doing that. I was doing very well betting, um, but there was like a a lot that goes into it. And um, and the hitman sells picks. The hitman's like fun, the, the hitman's like the Terminator. You, you don't want to take the hitman's action. And, and, and what I love about the hitman is like he'll actually make fun of me. He'll be ah, you only made this last week. You suck. And he's right. Of course, he does have the advantage of living in in a state that's much better right now to make tons of money. It's very different. Um, but yes, I agree. It's never been the pick sales aspect that's been the issue for me. It's doing pick sales in quote unquote, the, the right way is what, I, what I'll say. Um, I do, I do think, think that Steve does win sports betting FYI for listeners. Sorry, I'm going to have a voice crack here. Um, but the pick package thing is still a bit like frazzling in terms of that. However, everyone does have a right to earn and it, it earns extra money. So like, I can't criticize it that much. I will say, and I have. I, I want to emphasize. I have tons of long-term clients that have been with me for, uh, you know, uh, ten years, and they they buy my annual package each and every year. That doesn't mean that that makes me like some god that I'm like better than everybody else, but it does mean I've shown you know a, a strong acumen. And, and along with that, like you should, you, if there's one thing you should buy from me, it's my Super Bowl package because I'll discuss stuff that teach a man how to fish, that there's certain things in every Super Bowl. I'll, I'll throw one out there. You used to be able to bet no overtime in the Super Bowl. And you only, you could bet like minus 600 that there would be no overtime. And so, and there'd be Super Bowls, you'd bet the dog at plus six and a half or higher. So think how good this is. Let's say you're betting 10,000 on the underdog in a game plus 11, all right? Well, if it goes overtime, they're going to cover. So this is like the ultimate free roll where 
oh, well, I clearly have to bet 11,000 on no overtime at minus 650 because if it goes overtime, I'm going to win my bet here um, on Denver plus the points against Green Bay, et cetera. All right, Steve, the, the reason I wanted to have you on specifically this week is I think that there's something that's extremely topical that came up prior to um, the championship games uh, in the NFL, Championship Sunday, which was um, Sharp Clark on Twitter um, tweeting out that he made San Fran a three-point favorite on the road at Philadelphia. He stands by that number. And you quote tweeted him, verbatim here Mr. Clark does some great great work having said that I have to say those who have made a huge living betting 20 plus years none of us would ever say an NFL line at post was off by three plus points yet content providers many who bet smaller zero seemingly have this take often so Sharp Clark then puts out a video the next day or so kind of with his process which I thought was interesting because it is a process, in my opinion, that no, I don't want to say nobody really takes in the space, but he's very, um, you know, he's a tape guy. Let's put it that way, where he's watching every snap of every game throughout the entirety of the season, and he's making numbers based off of that. I would think that a lot of the NFL market is mostly numbers guys, news guys. You don't get a ton of tape guys, so to speak, and I'm bucketing people influencing the NFL market. I think that there is a possibility that maybe this is a hidden advantage or something that people aren't accounting for in market that could be a value where someone could arrive at a very different number than the close and think that they have an edge in sports. It's possible. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. I'm just curious if you give any credence to the fact that somebody is arriving at this number with an extremely different process and whether or not maybe there is something there. Yeah, it's a great question. And certainly there could be value approaching things totally different. I'll use the Dr. Bob thing. So Dr. Bob came in and he had his models and they were better than Vegas's models. And he identified games are up by three to four points and did great for years. And that's certainly possible that 20 years later, fast forward 20 years, someone could come in with a totally new approach and be able to win and be able to identify numbers that are off. But I think it's it's beyond naive in my opinion. And I can tell you, everyone I know that's a professional gambler that's been doing this for 20 years, I'm not gonna say everyone, almost everyone would agree with me that it's just beyond naive to think, oh, all of a sudden we're gonna take three point underdogs and they should become three point favorites but I see this all the time and, 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 and I apologize to Mr. Clark because he is, he is a guy that is uh, by all accounts, fantastic guy, does really good work and his models are solid, but that, and, and so it's not him. It's just that I'm so tired of like turning on the TV and seeing, Oh, this five point underdog, they should be the favorite. And from the content providers that don't even wager because they true, I go back to Johnny's Kelly criterion. Where the hell is the Kelly criterion now? <laughs> You think you all of a sudden, oh, Fezzik, throw him under the bus. He's he's not betting full Kelly. He should be betting double Kelly and being a, a good billionaire. But 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 anyone else can say a three-point dog should be a three-point favorite, which means he should be, bet, be betting 20% of his bankroll. And he's betting, you know, hundreds, not thousands, not tens of thousands, not tens of millions. Where's the inconsistency? Oh, I truly believe it's a 64% bet. 
but I don't really believe it because I bet a couple hundred on. I mean, come on. Fair enough. I mean, listen to each their own, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like unit shame people in general because. I was at a point where I was extremely undercapitalized and had the, at, at the point where I had the biggest edge in my life, I could not get down a lot of money just because of my previous history of being a horrible gambler and losing all my money. So it's unfortunate. So I, I or I, spending your money. Remember, you got to have you got to you got to make a lot of money and you got to like live like a miser to save that money too. not a miser, but live like a normal person and not a um a spending type of person. Right. So, I mean, I, I get it. If the source of frustration is more so with just the general content creators out there who are always throwing out these outlandish numbers, I too have a, a huge problem with that. Like, you but know, then, I, but then to be fair, it, it was a, it was a two team parlay, but then after the game was over, Purdy, you know, gets his UCLA, UCL, you know, a broken, dislocated. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. And then he's like, well, that shows why you should never bet 4% of your bankroll on anything. And now I'm just like losing my mind. You know, it's like, so I, so now I can't bet that the Indiana Pacers are going to miss the playoffs, even though we all know they're going to miss the playoffs because we never know what might happen. Everyone might get healthy on the Indiana Pacers. You, you, you see where I'm going because every pro there's going to be a bet that we are like, I'm just going to bet as much as humanly possible on this up to like 10% of my bankroll, which we never can get down um, because it's just such a strong wager. So I will say this, I make this mistake all the time as well. And I think uh, a lot of us, you're an opinionated guy. At least I get that through Twitter. I'm an opinionated guy. Johnny's an opinionated guy. A lot of people in the betting space, especially the sharp betting space, very opinionated on what's right, what's wrong. And I often make the mistake of speaking in absolutes a lot of times, like never do this, always do that. And I've really, really tried to take a step back. And the reason I bring it up is because you tweeted something recently, which was a great tell on whether a pro sports better is legit happens when they are in Vegas. If they post about how they are playing roulette, slots, or craps, massively downgrade their chance of being legitimate. By contrast, if their gambling is sports betting poker, upgrade them. So I play a ton of roulette, slots, craps. Yeah, when I agree I'm with Vezik here. <laughs> and Johnny, he like, he's like all the time, he's like, how do you do that? And again, I know what I'm getting into, right? Like I know that I'm making minus EV bets, but at, for, at that point, it's entertainment purposes. I enjoy the rush of it. I at least, I know that I have the disposable income, which I've but earned. So you're playing like lunch money on those and then betting real money on the game. Sometimes, sometimes not lunch money. But anyways, the, the point I'm making is that I think a lot of people can learn in general about just speaking in absolutes. And I think that there's a lot of scenarios where it's like, it's the same as the tout chart, the tout flow chart, right? That's just like an absolute. It's like, you must fall into this bucket or into this bucket. It's like, no, there's a hundred different buckets of people. And, and I believe on my quote, I said, it's more likely. I didn't say it's guaranteed. Massively, and, and massively downgrade is what you said. Massive. Okay, I'm gonna, okay. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna recant and I'm gonna say just downgrade. And I know, <laughs> and I did say there are poker players. All, and back to your case, Johnny, how, you know, if these poker players were so good and they really won, how come they don't have like these multi-million dollar bankrolls and they need people to buy them into tournaments if I they agree. actually had the edge? Well, but, but they I do agree. have they do they they do have the edge. They they just don't have the edge in life because yes. they're like going and playing baccarat exactly and, and all these other games and they're going out and buying Ace of Spades 
like liqueur for like $3,000 at clubs and tipping their cocktail waitress a thousand. And then they need backers. Stewie Unger is Stewie Unger is the greatest yep. example ever of a guy that was always broke and was one of the greatest investments. If you could have put it a dollar for dollar in a poker tournament, right? You see that with a ton of professional players who go broke several times in life. Uh, part of it is they, they finish their poker tournament. I've heard stories. I mean, of people finishing poker tournaments, winning a couple hundred K and then turning around and just blowing it in the casino on the way out the door. It happens. Some people just don't have, um, they just don't have it with it. Like bankroll management is, is an inherent trait to be a successful better. Part of the reason I don't go broke is because I know that the casino has an edge when I'm playing these games. But I mean, I still, I still enjoy that. But this, you know, the slippage is really difficult. Like, well, why aren't you like, like, uh, like so rich? It's like, I'll use an example. Your country took 200,000 from a group of, 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 of mine that was betting the Canadian barley card lottery. And there was a rule that said, oh, you can only bet $100 per day. But there was no rule that was enforced while people were betting all these parlay cards until they all like wound up winning one week. And then all of a sudden, all the money got confiscated and they got threatened with litigation and they rolled over and that money was never to be seen again. And you know what? That sounds like an isolated instance. That's one, I've got dozens, anyone that's that's like, you like, well, why don't you just work with more people? If you're so good, why don't you just work, work with all these other people? Because gamblers are not trustworthy. And I know that I, and I'm not alone here, can speak to, Billy Walters can speak to this, many people can speak to this. We've been like stiffed by so many books and so many people that just like have, have taken our money and have told us stories that it's like, makes us extremely reluctant to want to work with anyone that we don't know well because of those circumstances. Fair enough. Um, out of curiosity, I don't know if you happen to catch the Circles Off episode. I think it was number 61 where we react, 62, says producer Zach, where we reacted to uh, Ross Tucker on the Even Money podcast interviewing Simon Hunter of the Action Network. You were not on the episode that day. I'm curious if you know what episode I'm talking about or if you saw the reaction video at all. I, I heard about it, and to summarize, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Simon described a betting syndicate, and it was clear Simon had never been part of a betting syndicate. Am I, am I correct? That, that would be the one. That's correct. I, I think a, a, a good conclusion is that sometimes when you're asked a question, you're supposed to be an expert and you don't have the answer to it. It's better to say, I have no real experience with that rather than to try to um, come up with what you believe the correct answer to be would be my response. So I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about this because I always felt, I watched that interview, me and Johnny watched it. We reacted to it live. We had some people had been messaging me all kinds saying, you got to watch this interview. I figured, okay, we'll turn it into a piece of content. In hindsight, I felt a little bit bad. I mean, I, I don't like to attack. I do it. You love to attack. I don't like to. <laughs> I seriously don't like to do it. I seriously don't. I don't like confrontation in general. But I couldn't help but thinking while I was watching that, if Steve Fezzik was in part of this, he would have called him out on this. And I'm curious if, as to if you were a part of that interview, would you have actually called him out on that and, and pushed him on that? It, it would have depended upon the, the circumstances and the like. But, you know, I will say, like, I'm part of a group. I've, 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 you're never going to agree with all these other handicappers, but I'm not going to, if, 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 if I'm under an umbrella, one of the handicappers gives out a total or buys points. It gives out a total on Super Bowl or buys points on games. I'm going to people say, what do you think about that, Steve? I'm like, it's wrong. Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, I'm not going to like, like go to bat for, for, for someone that's just doing something that you take a hundred MIT grads that all bet sports for a living. 
and you ask them all, should you tease the Super Bowl? And all 100 are going to say, of course not. You can just bet the alternative total and lay minus 240 on the same bet instead of laying minus 280. Why would you do that? I know. I know exactly how that feels. I did a, a piece of content a couple of weeks ago where someone teased the Eagles up to plus four and a half through zero uh, against the 49ers. And I vehemently suggested that the math is, you know, do not do that. And it won. The teaser won. It's not as terrible as it sounds. Like I know teasing through the zero and the like, but the line's essentially 2.9. Yes. If you get a two and a half and a seven point teaser, four and a half there, let's put it this way. It's not as good as a long teaser, right? But that teaser is better. It's better than than any other non long teaser out there. There are I'm worse. Sure would agree. There are worse teasers that you can make for sure, and I'm sure unabated would agree as well. Um, it is Super Bowl week. This is the Thursday of the Super Bowl. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts in just in some general advice for people. So, what what is one big piece of advice you could give to those that are betting the Super Bowl in the coming days? There's a thousand prop bets that you can wager on. I've run really well on prop bets, but part of that is because prop bets are much more beatable. Um, they say bet the, bet the same on the big game as you do any other game. That's terrible advice. I, I, I was shocked. I saw Spanky give that out, and I agree with them about the side. Why would you bet the Super Bowl side? It's like the most bet into line ever, and maybe if there was like one public team, the public will move a line. I'll go back to the, you know, the Green Bay-Denver game was probably one of the most famous Super Bowls. You know, L.A. was catching 11. Come on, that was a good bet. <laughs> Um, but for the, but that's because, you know, the narrative was that Denver can't play in Super Bowls and LA is a choker and, but and Green Bay is like a gauntlet team. Um, but in general, why bet the side when you, you've got a thousand different things that you can wager on, including whether the first kickoff is going to be a touchback or not. Right. Um, there's a lot of advantage plays and bet, you know, I, I, I'll use an example, like when New Orleans was in the Super Bowl, you could bet who was going to get the ball first. Well, New Orleans was going to get the ball first. So yeah, there's the, there's there's some really, really good bets that can be made. And, they, and if you rank them in order, I find it hard to believe that the side of the total is going to be one of your 20th best bets that you're going to make on Super Bowl uh, week the weeks um, during the 14-day the period. Uh, are, are there So we did an episode on Super Bowl strategy last week, and I talked about something that I, I strongly disagree with other people in the Sharp community who, you know, I, I'm the guy that almost always bets. It depends on the situation. I don't want to say always. And again, n- never speak in absolutes. But the Super Bowl, in my opinion, is a very different game than week 13 of the NFL because it's the final game of the year. You have all these plays, trick plays that, that teams haven't used over the course of the year. They pull out all the stops to win it. There's nothing else that's happening this season. I'm the guy who bets over two and a half players to throw a pass in the game. And I always get this every year, which is like, oh, I mean, like, this is a horrible bet. Look at the data. Sum up the data. Only, you know, 0.1% of the time is there going to be a third passer in the game. And it's like, this is very different. I think people lose this with the Super Bowl. I'm curious if there's any particular angles, stuff that you see that's specific to the Super Bowl that is very different than a traditional NFL week or game Uh, And whether I guess you agree with me on that, like, don't treat this game just like it's an ordinary game. There's a lot different. Oh, I I absolutely agree. I think even things like on kickoff returns, uh, if I'm fielding a ball five yards deep in my end zone, that's the Super Bowl. I'm going to take it to the house. You know, it's like it's a big game here, you know. Um, So it's more likely you might get a return because of that. Um, You know, there's certain try and true stuff. And I do think 
don't look at the database for the year just alone for the teams. Look at the database for the Super Bowls. You know, one thing that we've seen and the market's gotten the memo, unfortunately, is lower scoring early in the games. Now, how much of that was Brady and how much of it's just nerves teams being too conservative? So you look at it, you look at a total and sitting at a 49, you should see a 10 in the first quarter and you should see a 24 and a half for the first half. And the market's feeling lower than that because the first quarters and the first halves have been lower scoring. And I think that there, there has to be an adjustment based upon the his, historical um, uh, lower scoring starts to Super Bowls. Fair enough. Totally agree. We'll leave you on this, Steve. It's our closing question for every guest that we have here on Circles Off. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give to your former self? Wow. Can I go back further than five years? Sure. Take it back as far as you want. I, I would go back to me twice. I'd go back in the late nineties and I go back to me after one, like all my contests that I won the five contests, like in 2008, 2009. And I would say, you know, th- there was a poker player that won uh player of the year. And he's like, I wish I knew how good I had run, you know, in order when, when, when you're doing this and everyone else is doing this, yeah. Probably it's not just you're the best in the world at it. You probably got very fortunate along the way as well. And I almost use like the survivorship bias. Almost everyone you see in the casino that gambles won when they first started gambling because if they would have lost, they, a lot of them just stop, you know. But but so usually you run well to start and they, then you create gamblers for life. But I would come back to myself and say, look at you got to reinvent yourself. You got to constantly be looking for new edges new things that you could have that you could pick up on instead of just continuing to do what you've always done general motor style we always make big gas guzzling cars in the 80s everything will be fine his name is steve fezzik he's a back-to-back winner of the westgate super contest you can follow him on twitter at fezzik sports make sure it's that account because there's a lot of impersonator accounts out there for steve fezzik uh, I, I I got very hung up in this interview on you going to Northwestern because I, all I think about is Darren Ravel going to Northwestern and I just, it's got to be, I mean, I, I don't know that I could live with Ravel going to the same college that I did. I don't know, Steve. I don't know. Steve, thanks very much. You're a good sport about this. Appreciate you uh, giving your time to come on. And 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 Johnny, I uh, I would welcome working with you directly on some stuff. I think that might change your view of me, and uh, maybe Rob will make that happen this coming football season. I, I will say, For Fezzik forty unit banger season incoming. I will say, and and we did talk about this before we went on air as well. Um, and and I'm speaking on your behalf now, but to Johnny's point, which he did make during the interview, I think we both think that you win in the long run. Um, I can never confirm that. I've, me through mutual contacts. I think Johnny through just the way that you tweet. I think it's but, very. But that evident. means that. But, but I, I appreciate that. But really, I, I mean, I got to tell you, it means everybody wins. Everybody. I know guys. My my buddy Cutter, like, can't play a lick. Oh, that poor guy, and he wins big. You know, he's like, it, it's not hard. It's winning a lot that's the hard part. But I will say, and I want I want to give accolades to the hitman. Like we're talking about reinventing yourself. Here's a young kid. He is not the smartest guy in the world. He didn't go to Northwestern or MIT or University of Chicago. But you know what? The guy gets it in terms of how to win. And it's just a phenomenal contact. And I'm blessed to have him as a friend and as, as a, a co-better that we share information. I, I mean, listen, anyone can make it happen. I've known Joey Tunes for years from when he was based out in Vegas back in the day. I'm not scared to admit it. 
not the smartest guy on the planet. Don't know what he would score on the Wonderlick, but he figured out sports betting and people can do it. I mean, uh, it's, it's there for the taking if you put the time in. Again, Circles Off episode number 88. If you liked our content, please smash the like button. Subscribe to the Circles Off channel. Thanks to Steve Fezzik for joining us. We'll be back next week for Circles Off episode number 89.